today is an important message. We're going to be talking about possibly the most important question that there can be for you, the most applicable thing. Uh, if you don't realize this is the most applicable thing that you need to think about, um, it is deep down. It's how do you get right with God? How do you stand right before a holy and a righteous God when we realize that we are sinners, we are fallen, we fall short? How do we stand before him? And there's right ways and there's so many wrong ways to do this, but this passage is going to make clear how we, how the way that we need to do this. You know, I don't know how many of you were uh, into maybe scouts when you were younger. Scouting, I know, is not what it is anymore as, not, as it was back in the day. Um, I remember being a part of it. Uh, but a big thing about scouting is that you earned merit badges. And so here's a picture of a scout. He's got all kinds of merit badges. And they're called merit badges because as you would uh, have different skills that you would master and you would test, you would get a little patch, a merit badge, and you would sew it to your sash. And as you increased more of these, you would increase in rank. And again, they're called merit badges because they're something that you earned. And you advanced in status through your merit and what you earned and what you did. I thought it was interesting. Uh, there have been uh, merit badges that have been uh, discontinued over the years, some that they had back in the day. Uh, some of the discontinued merit badges include beef production, which that's a shame. Uh, <laughs> master at arms, which sounds like it was pretty awesome. Taxidermy. So these are things you used to, you no longer, and you used to be able to get a merit badge in stocking, uh, which I think meant something very different uh, in days gone by. Uh, today for stocking, you don't get a marriage badge, uh, you get a restraining order. <laughs> That's a different thing. You know, sometimes these terms, you know, mean different things in different contexts. I was at a different church uh, one time visiting, and I went by their nursery, and they had the nursery uh, designated into different areas, you know, for the, for the babies and for the, you know, the, the, the ones that can walk and uh, crawlers. And this one, it had, I had labeled on the door, creepers. <laughs> like, wow, we have policies to keep the creepers far away from the nursery. <laughs> so... You have that. We might have walkers. I don't know about that, but, you know. So anyways, those are discontinued merit badges. Uh, newer ones that have, they've replaced some of these include uh, movie making, game design, geo, geocaching, and nuclear science. Oh, wow, nuclear science. Hello, boys. Today we will learn how to make plutonium from common household items. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But I bring this up because we're going to be talking, we're going to be looking at Paul and his merit badges and what he used to think in his pre-Christian days, this is how he was going to stand before God. That he was going to show his big old list of merit, his merit badges, and that was going to get him into heaven. And he was proud of these merit badges. He had collected more than anyone else. But when he encountered Jesus, he was helped to see that salvation does not come by merit badges. It doesn't matter how many you get, you cannot be saved in this way. So let's uh, look through this. We're going to read Philippians chapter 3, and it's going to be 1 through 11. 
Let's read the whole thing first, and then we're going to go through and walk through it. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. For the, look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by all any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's a powerful passage. We're going to look at the first six verses first, summarized by saying, if salvation was by human merit, then Paul outdid everyone. If that's how you were saved, Paul is saying, hey, I have everyone beat. Well, let's look through this, walk through it verse by verse. He starts off by saying... Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. I'll write this again. The same thing to you. He's already said this. He's talked about rejoicing. He's talked about joy many times in this letter. It's a huge theme, and he's going to say it again. This part really doesn't connect with what's coming next, but it's another reminder of this, to be living a life of joy and rejoicing. And we can do this because of Christ who came for us. We can do this because of the good news that he is about to explain to us. So that even though Paul is in prison, being imprisoned in chains, even though this might turn out, humanly speaking, that he ends up being executed, uh, he can still rejoice and encourage the Philippians to rejoice because there is a deeper truth that he has that he can hold on to. His righteousness is salvation in God through Jesus Christ. So it's a reminder to us uh, that this is this attitude that we can have in Christ. And I believe unless you understand the gospel, the way that Paul is going to explain it, how could you have this type of rejoicing? There would always be the sense of guilt. And even if you were able to think, well, I got all these merit badges, there would be something deep in your heart that would say, I, I still don't feel right before God. I still don't have that certainty. But the gospel gives us deep joy. He goes on, and here he gives a warning. So he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers, for those who mutilate the flesh. I just, I got to take this time to point out here, Paul does not say look out for the cats. Okay? Just want to point that out. 
Cats are adorable. Cats are intelligent. Okay, but, you know, look out for the dogs here. You know, uh, when they talked about dogs in those days, you know, it wasn't the cute little foo-foo dogs, you know, that we have our little, you know, fur babies. People didn't have fur babies back in those days, okay? That, to have a pet just uh, for, for no reason, I mean, unless you were crazy wealthy, you didn't do that because they take food, they take resources. If you had an animal, uh, you're either working that animal or you're eating that animal. <laughs> That's how it was. So you wouldn't have a fur baby. You might have a fur tractor, or a fur, you know, an ox, or a fur bag of groceries, something you're going to eat, uh, but you didn't have just a, a pet dog. So this is where we need to think in context of that day. You know, so in Philippi in those days, if you talk about dogs, you're thinking about some nasty little, um, you know, basically kind of giant street rat that they would go around the streets, you know, getting into garbage, getting into your food, uh, you know, maybe diseased and nasty. It w- this was not a compliment, you know, to call somebody a dog here. So when he says, look out for the dogs, uh, he's saying looking out for something that, is, uh, uh, something that is awful. By the way, it was a common Jewish slur in those days of the Jews to talk about the Gentiles as dogs. So the people that weren't Jewish, they'd call them, you know, the dogs. So now we see Paul, he explains here, when he talks about, well, who are the dogs here? Who are we looking out for? It seems to be false teachers that were teaching that faith in Christ was not enough to be saved. Instead, you had to go through different uh, Jewish rites, different aspects of keeping the Old Testament law, and specifically uh, circumcision, which was not something that was automatically done uh, to, to males back in those days. It was unique among the Hebrews, and I'm not going to go into detail on what circumcision is, but uh, it is, it, God gave this originally to Abraham in his covenant. It was also put in the Mosaic covenant uh, later on that they were supposed to keep this. And it was a cutting off of the, the male foreskin uh, when um, eight days after that one was born. And if someone later on converted to be a Jew, uh, they had to go through that later if they wanted to be a, a full-fledged Jew. So these people are teaching that in order to be, for you to be saved, you got these, you know, most of the Philippians, they're, they're Gentiles, they're not, they're not Jewish. People are saying, you got to fulfill all these Old Testament laws. And Paul is saying, no, if you are uh, trying to add that as far as your basis for righteousness, you are screwing up the whole gospel message. You are depending on some kind of human work, some kind of ceremony, uh, something besides the one thing you need to depend on for your salvation. And that's why he says, uh, calls them dogs. He says, look out for the evildoers. It's an evil thing. And that's why he says mutilators of the flesh because they were literally, um, you know, uh, doing a surgery on literal flesh. But then he says in verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision. And here he means the true circumcision. We are the circumcision uh, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So what he's communicating here is that being right with God was not a matter of some external uh, ceremony that you did. It wasn't a matter of that. It wasn't a, it was not a, physical surgery 
that makes you right with God, but there is a heart surgery that does make you right with God. Being born again, receiving a, a new heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's the, the, the true circumcision and literal physical circumcision uh, that was for the Mosaic era and that was passed and that didn't apply to uh, Gentiles or to believers today. And to add that in was adding works to salvation. And I love the phrase that he has in verse 3. He says, we put no confidence in the flesh. And that is part of what it means to be a genuine Christian, to be right with God. That you're putting no confidence, not, not less confidence in the flesh, you're putting no confidence in the flesh. And when Paul talks about it here in the context, he isn't, doesn't just mean anymore just circumcision or some kind of uh, physical surgery on flesh, but he's talking about everything that has to do with, with human merit, human achievement, our self-achievement, what we do or maybe what other uh, mere humans you know, do for us. And Paul, in this next section, he is going to make it really clear that he once thought confidence in the flesh was the way to go. But he realized he had to make a gigantic switch and that that is not how anyone becomes righteous before God. So we go on reading, and we see in verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's saying, let's talk about this. Hypothetically, these false teachers, if they think, oh, they're right with God because, you know, they've done this, this, and this. Hey, if that is how you are saved, okay, um, I got you all beat, okay? Just look at me, watch me, look at my merit badges, look at what I have done. And then he launches through this section where he lists uh, these seven different criteria that he gives, these seven big merit badges and I'm sure he could have kept going, but seven huge ones. He's saying this, if it was by human merit, the way you're talking about, here's what I got. Let me show you this. He says, circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteous under the law, blameless. So think of this. Because in, uh, in this passage, he's using uh, phrases of a gain and he's using past, uh, a phrase that means loss. And they're actually terms that would be used in finances. So if you are doing your personal finances, you are balancing your checkbook, or you're doing your, uh, you know, however you track your budget, or if you have a company and you have to track what is your profit and what is your loss. Again, your profit is the, what you're taking in, uh, what, you have the, what you have gained, uh, if the losses are your expenses, things that you owe, things like that. So you can have two columns, your profit column and your loss column. So he's saying, uh, if salvation was like this, the way he used to think, look at everything that Paul considered that was in his, his profit column, his gain column. And he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. So if you're saying circumcision under the law, this is what you need to do, I was done absolutely correctly, it was on the eighth day like the book of Leviticus requires me to be circumcised. 
Uh, this was done uh, perfectly. It didn't have to be done later on. Um, but, yep, circumcised on the eighth day. He says, of the people of Israel, part of God's chosen people, God's covenant people in the, the Old Testament, the Mosaic area, uh, still got his chosen people. I'm part of them. The, uh, God's you know, a special uh, elect nation. This is me. I'm part of the nation of Israel. Not everyone else here is, but I was. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin. So not only was he a member of the, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, but he was from a tribe that he was, he th- was willing to brag about. He thought, one of, this is one of, the, one of the good tribes. There were, remember, uh, 12 different uh, tribes. Uh, Jacob, in the book of Genesis, he had 12 sons. Later on, it became the 12 tribes of Israel because of that. And Jacob, his, um, it was kind of a you know, mess up thing. He ended up having two wives. His favorite was Rachel. And he had uh, Joseph through uh, Rachel. But and there came a time where uh, he thought that Joseph was dead, and so his other son, Benjamin, through Rachel, was very, very special to him, very precious. He cared for Benjamin. He tried to protect Benjamin. Definitely held a special place in his heart. Now, there's other stuff about the tribe of Benjamin that isn't so good. If you've gone through the book of Judges, uh, you would know about that, but Paul probably wasn't thinking about those things. He's thinking about the positives, the good things about his tribe. You know, along, it was one of the good southern tribes, along with, you know, Judah, that uh, seemed more faithful than, than all the rest. And Paul was named after the king of Israel, Saul, that came from the tribe of Benjamin. And we call him Paul. His Jewish name was Saul, and he was named after King Saul. And so when his parents thought, well, let's give him a good, noble name, someone that we respect, King Saul. We'll name him after that. And so, yeah, Paul's saying, these are other things in my, look at my pedigree. You know, look at my birth, the family that I came out of. He says, he goes on to say, I am also a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm not some convert. I am a Hebrew through and through, uh, in my blood, in my efforts, everything that I do. I am an ideal Hebrew. He also talks about his, his conduct, and he gets into these for the next three. And he says, as to the law, a Pharisee. Now we hear that and we think, wait a second, okay, Pharisee, we've, heard, we've seen the Pharisees in the New Testament, they're the, the bad guys, they're always after Jesus and uh, self-righteous. But in those days, you've got to remember, if you, most people, when they thought about the Pharisees, they didn't think about them you know, reading, the, reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and thinking of them as the bad guys. The Pharisees uh, was a group of individuals that uh, started kind of like, almost like a club or an association between the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament because they had decided, hey, that whole Babylonian captivity and being, we don't want that ever to happen again. And that happened because we were disregarding God's law so we're going to make this basically a society for the advancement and the protection of the, the Mosaic law of God and to make sure everyone follows it very strictly. So they're very strict. Uh, they even added their own rules to safeguard people from even coming close to breaking the law. Uh, and that's problematic. But in those days, if you thought about the Pharisees, and there were about maybe 6,000 of them, that's the number that was counted uh, around the time of Herod the Great, uh, you think these are the spiritual elites. 
These are the ones that keep God's law uh, just with precision, with fervor. They care about this. They, they memorize the, uh, the scriptures. They teach other people. They're champions of this. These are the, the ideal, zealous, spiritual elites of those days. So you say, as far as keeping the law, that's how strict I was. I was a Pharisee. And he was zealous too. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor, persecutor of the church. Now we view that as a bad thing, to be persecuting Christians. But look at the way he used to think about it. He's like, there are other people here that don't even care about the fact that uh, there's this guy that people are claiming is God. and And he used to think, well, that's blasphemy to think that a man could actually be God. And this guy, Jesus, was also uh, telling people that it, they didn't have to follow the Pharisees' rules. And so obviously this guy doesn't care either. Who does he think he was? And so he was actively persecuting Christians, being involved in that. And so zeal means, it means passion. It means that he has uh, you know, commitment. He has fervor to this. So he wasn't some, uh, you know, just, just casual Hebrew he was active. He was an activist in this. And so all those that just, you know, were, 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 didn't care enough to, to lift a finger, he was, he was zealous. And finally, he says in his prophet column, he was blameless under the law. Or as he writes it uh, specifically, um, as to righteousness under the law, yeah, Blameless. And maybe he didn't think that he never sinned, but if he did, he thought, well, I did what is necessary and required under uh, the requirements in the scriptures to provide the right sacrifices to take care of this. So this means when he thought about his prophet column, he had all these huge merit badges. Now, these are a big deal. These are the markers. I'm in with God. This is who I am. And then we thought of, well, what do I have in my loss column? You know, what's against me? Because, you know, we've got to balance this out. I think basically nothing. He says, blameless under the law means he didn't think he had any outstanding sin. Either he didn't think he had really any necessary sin to begin with, or at least nothing that wasn't taken care of by doing the right rituals and legalistic things that you needed to do to take care of that. So this is his mindset. He thought, I'm going to be able to stand before God and I am good because on my ledger, on the good side, I got, I got all these great things. And on the the, the demerit side, well, I got got nothing there. So of course God is going to accept me. This is his way of thinking. You know, as we look at this, we're going to see the message of this is that you just can't get saved by merit badges. This isn't how it works. I think one of the other uh, things that we can draw from this as well is that being sincere isn't enough. Sometimes we're prone to think, well, this other person has to be, of course God's going to let this person to heaven because this person is dedicated. This person's sincere. And, or you might think that about yourself. At least I try hard. I'm sincere. I'm dedicated. You hear that a lot of times. People say, I, I can't imagine God not letting somebody you know, into heaven or being right with God because this person is so, uh, is so dedicated, so zealous. Being dedicated, being zealous was not Paul's problem when he was unsaved. He was dedicated. He was sincere. He was zealous, uh, but, but in the wrong things. So mere zeal, mere passion doesn't 
ultimately count for anything in the eyes of God. And again, the big point of this whole message is these were his merit badges, but you can't get saved by these merit badges. No matter how big they are, no matter how many you have. You know, and maybe you're not claiming the same merit badges that uh, Paul was claiming back then, but maybe there's other merit badges that we think. Even for those that go to church and consider themselves religious, consider themselves Christian, what are you actually depending on to get you to heaven? Because it's our, I think, natural tendency to depend on ourselves and our own righteousness. So if we're going to make a list today, let's say for churchgoers at least, you know, maybe it's something like this. I come from a Christian family. In fact, I come from a long line of Christians, and not just any Christians, from Baptists. I'm so Christian, I have never sat, um, I am so Baptist, I've, I've never missed a potluck. I've never uh, sat in anything but the back row my entire life. Okay? <laughs> um, you can sit up too. I'm glad, thank you for those in the front. But that's the thing. If you're thinking, I got this pedigree, you know, um, my dad was a pastor, or my dad was a deacon, my, this long line. Nope. But a lot of people, they depend on that. I go to church every Sunday. In fact, I go every time you could, and we go to Sunday school, and we go every time that if the church door is open, I'm there. If they accidentally leave the church unlocked, I am there, just to make sure. And this is part of my merits, part of my, uh, my profit column. I mean, maybe you, you think, well, I volunteer. I'm on the praise team. So, of course, I'm good with God. I'm a, I'm a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, or I volunteer, or God bless you if you work in the nursery. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, but you list that, you know, in your profit column. I tithe exactly 10% of everything that I get. You know, my money, uh, Halloween candy, Christmas presents, uh, if I find a penny on the street, I, I carve out. I, I cut it into a tenth so I can, I can tithe exactly that. And again, these are good things. I'd love to see you at church all the time. And I think, you know, we ought to be tithing and giving. That's, it's a very good thing to do. But if you're depending on these things, that's where it becomes problematic. Baptized. Maybe you were baptized as a little kid. Maybe you were baptized as an adult. And, uh, you know, maybe we held you underwater extra long. You're like, think that really counts. Or you think, well, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't swear. I, the only music I listen to is uh, hymns from the 50s. Uh, my, my life is, is squeaky clean. And again, dedicated to devotions. I pray five hours a day. Devotions, all these different things. Maybe even you could say, well, I, I, went and I went and served the poor in India for 30 years. You know, to really outdo it. The point is, we're going to see that no list of things in your profit column here like this that are out of self-effort, that are out of human work, even if you say, well, God helped me do these things. I'm going to point that out because that can be a, a, a way that people can slightly twist this in their minds. God does help us to do good things. We've seen that already in this, in this passage. Uh, well, in Philippians, I mean. Uh, but even if you're thinking, well, I do good things, but it's because of God that helps me to do these things. No, this is not how you become righteous before God. This is not how it works at all. So we move on to the second section here. Paul had been depending on his merit badges. We're saying that's not how it works. So in the second section, to make the point, how, how are you made right before God? 
Paul's going to explain this. I'll summarize it by saying, to gain Christ and his righteousness, Paul counted as loss everything that he once counted as gain. Everything that he used to consider to be in the profit column, in the, in the gain column, that he now had to, is this count as loss? Okay, so uh, let's look at the actual scriptures. Verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I've already mentioned that gain and loss when he talks about this. These are like financial terms. You know, think of you're doing your bookkeeping. Uh, what does it go into? And so when it says counted here, you know, again, this is, he's doing accounting. He's doing spiritual accounting. And what does he consider? What does he, you know, account uh, these things? Should they be in the profit column or should they be in the loss column? And so he realized that in order to be saved, in order to gain Christ, in order to be right with God and have his righteousness, he had to make a transfer. He had to move some things on the books in his mind to where they really were. So at one point, he viewed all these things in the prophet column, but now his new mindset that he realized through God's help, talking to him, understanding the actual message of salvation was to take all these things from the prophet column and instead he needed to move them over to the lost column. Everything that he had once counted as gain, now he counted as, as loss. These were no longer his merits. They were demerits. These were no longer things he could bring before God and say, well, accept me because look at this. Look at these great lists. He realized, wow, these, are, uh, these don't help me at all. These are actually, these are actually negatives. You know, and also if you looked at his heart too, you realize he had not just these, but he had sins as well too. He was not a blameless person. Sinned in so many different ways. And the passage goes on and it makes it really clear to us. He counts it as lost to know Christ. In verse 9, please pay attention to this. This is so important. He says, well, this is actually the, the rest of verse 8. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So he considers them loss, and here it says he also counts them, considers them, you know, accounts them as rubbish. Now, we think of the word rubbish, at least in English, maybe think of like a rubbish bin, and so a bunch of crumpled up, you know, paper that's in your uh, rubbish bin. You think, well, that's kind of worthless. It's a, you know, a bunch of uh, discarded paper. Maybe there's some Kleenex in there. Maybe banana peels. Uh, this word in Greek that's translated rubbish, rubbish makes it seem kind of okay. It kind of cleans it up a little bit. Uh, but really, uh, this word was used often for, well, let's say what it is, uh, excrement. So I believe the King James, if you have that, translates it as Dung. So considered as dung. All his good works now considered as, um, well, you look at the etymology of, or the word studies on this, and uh, some Greek scholars, they point out that this word that Paul uses was actually kind of a semi-non-polite word, too. Uh, 
And one said probably the equivalent for us would be something like CRAP. I'm not going to say it in church just to be edgy. But Paul is using kind of a word that was kind of, kind of forceful. Maybe you have someone in life that you're trying to impress. You know, maybe guys, maybe there's that girl that you're trying to win over. Uh, you know, or that you're trying to, again, you know, show your love. You're trying to gain acceptance through someone. You know, maybe you have an employer that you're trying to, to butter up to and you want to give a gift. And so you decide, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give somebody a gift because uh, I, I want them to, to like me, to accept me. And so you're like, I got a gift for you. And you give it to them, you bring it to them. They're like, oh, you got me a gift. This is so sweet. And then they get the gift and they, they open it up and, oh, it's a bag of dung a bag of manure. I think that's not a great gift. That's not a great gift at all. And this is what, and this actually, I need to tell you, this is the authentic item here. Okay? I did not just get a bunch of mud. Try and fake you out. Okay? I am standing in front here holding a bag of uh, poo. Yes. You don't believe me? I want to make... Oh, shouldn't have done that. All right, seal that back up. <laughs> Realize what Paul is saying is that he realized that all the stuff that he was trying to do to say, God, accept me. Accept me as righteous in your eyes because look what I have, God. Look at, look at this. And now he realizes the whole time he had been holding out to God, poo, manure, dung, And the same thing is true for me, for you, if you are trying to find your acceptance with God through your merit, through your works. And you know what? It doesn't work to say, yes, but it's it's a big bag of poo. Okay? It doesn't work to say, yes, but it's it's very fresh. It's still moist and soft. It still has it still has aroma this is not the way for you to find your acceptance with God doesn't matter how big it is how many merit badges of poo doesn't matter how steamy it is and this is what we need to realize we need to understand that it is not just about adding Christ to your profit column, along with all your other things that you think are your merits. It's also that you have to realize that the merit that you are trying to claim is a loss, is nothing but poo. Paul goes on, says, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That verse is so important. Think about every part of that. Guess what? You do need righteousness in order to stand before God. If a message that you heard is that, oh, it doesn't matter, you don't need righteousness to stand before God, that is not the biblical message. You definitely need a righteousness in order to stand before God. It's just it's not going to be from you. 
And it's not going to be from ceremonies. It's not going to be from our, our efforts. Okay, so we're found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes through law, whether that's the Hebrew law or any type of our law, no, any type of rule keeping. Because, you know, people today, they still have what they think are the rules that make you a good person. And even people that never darken the door of a church, they still have their rules of things that they view as their merit badges, that they donate to the right causes. They have the right, you know, uh, political and social views on different things. They use the right language. I post the right things on, on Facebook, and I, I change my profile picture to uh, whatever the, um, you know, activist thing of, of the month is. Uh, I you know, to help with the environment or whatever. Some things may be good, some things maybe not, but every, you know, I'm a nice person. I'm, I'm nice to people. I help people. I, I donate $5 to charity here and there, and that makes me a good person. Everyone, if you're not a Christian, they have something that they think is going to make them right with God. But this passage is making it so clear, nothing, not the Mosaic law, not human law, not your own created standards is going to make you righteous before God. But you do need a righteousness. And it's not that God helps you to be righteous and does that, and and that's why he accepts you. Because he accepts us even when we're not righteous. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So it says that the righteousness we get is that which is through faith in Christ. It is the righteousness that Jesus earned if you think of our merit badges, if you're thinking you have this sash of merit badges, hopefully now you're realizing, oh, these human merit badges, these count for nothing. In fact, they're, they're demerits. But you also hopefully realize that, you know, if you had the sash, you would have just sin badges. It's like, look, I've broken all the Ten Commandments and a, a whole lot more and in a lot of variety in different ways. You know, so we have all this sash of demerit badges is what we have. And what Jesus Christ did, the God-man, okay, because Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, is, and we say this a lot here, he lived the life that, that we didn't live, that we were supposed to live, and he died the death that we deserve to die. And so two things happen when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And one is that he takes our sash of sin, demerits, and he wore that when he went to the cross. When he went to the cross, Jesus was guilty, at least legally guilty. He had never committed any of those sins, but he was weighed down uh, with all of our demerit badges that were upon him. You couldn't see this, but he was counted guilty in the eyes of God for us. He took our sin upon himself, and he was suffering the death that had to happen for sinners, taking our place. And when you trust in him, not only is it that he has taken your sin upon himself, but he also gives you the gift of his righteousness. So imagine Jesus actually has uh, fulfilled God's law in total. And there are more than just 10 commandments. Uh, the way the Hebrews used to count them, I believe it was 616 Old Testament laws. And so he would have at least you know, 616 you know, merit badges plus all, uh, everything else that would be true in God's sight. Perfect merit. And when you're saved, he gives you the gift of his righteousness. So you are saved by merit, but not by merit that is from you. It is a gift. Sometimes they would call this alien righteousness, not from space aliens, but it it comes from outside, from another, and is gifted to you. 
This is the gospel. If you're going to be saved, this is how you're saved and how uh, you are coming to Christ and being right with him. So think about this, that if we looked at kind of this, you know, kind of ledger column again, we think of this, um, part of what Paul did is he realized everything was a loss and that's part of it. And something that's too often we don't do, you know, realizing we have to move all that stuff over. But if he did have one thing that was in the, in the gain column, in the profit, in, in the positive, it would just be one thing, Christ. Say, I have Jesus Christ. I have Jesus Christ, the Lord, the God-man, as my Savior, as my substitute. And let me kind of illustrate this a different way. He had Christ and he had nothing else. It was Christ plus nothing. And this is really important too, because again, it's not Christ plus all of my good works. And this is where I think we need to realize, sometimes we may think, well, I, I'm saved because I have, I have Christ and I've, I've added him. But what people are really doing is they're, they're saying, well, God, when that day comes, I stand before you and even right now, okay, I have Christ and, by the way, I also have my good works. I have this too. And what Paul is making clear to us that it is not just a matter of adding Christ and thinking, well, he can somehow supplement our good works that are just dung in God's eyes that are worthless. But it's taking Christ, receiving him, the Lord, as your Savior, putting your trust, your dependence on him, but also saying, yeah, I'm, I don't depend on this anymore. This is not gold. This is not valuable. I realize what this is, and I'm going to cling to Christ alone. As the old song goes, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior yet, if you still are living in your guilt, if you are still worried at all, like where are you going to go when you die? I need you to know, I implore you to know, Jesus Christ has already done everything that is required for your salvation. He's died on the cross, he has paid the price in full, but the passage that we just looked at makes it very clear that the way you receive this gift is through faith in him, is by trusting him as Savior. It comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And faith is not a work. Faith is, is believing trust. That it's, it's what do you have your confidence on. Instead of having your confidence on your works, you've shifted entirely. My confidence is now in Christ his finished work for me. And you can walk out this door being righteous in the eyes of God. If God is speaking to you by his Holy Spirit through his inspired word, helping you to believe this and understand it, realize he died on the cross so that you could be saved. He came to save sinners. He did not come for you to clean up your life first. He came to save you just as you are. You can turn to him it's not even a matter of like walking up an aisle. Sometimes people do that, but you know what? That can also become a merit badge. I walked an aisle or I raised my hand. Maybe that helps, maybe it doesn't, but it's what is going on in your heart. And I would encourage you, pray to the Lord. He's hearing you. He can hear you. And tell him, I renounce my self-worth. I renounce my self-righteousness. And from here on out, from right now, I depend, I trust in Jesus Christ alone who died for me. And 
you will be saved. It's not a matter of you will be saved in the future. You start, you're righteous with God at that moment. Not later on when you clean up your life, at that moment, because you are given his righteousness right then and there. And at the very end of this passage, verse 10, and we'll pick up with this next time to explain this more fully, that he wants to be saved. He wants to be found in Christ. And notice in these verses, it talks about gaining Christ, verse 8. Being found in Christ, verse 9, and knowing Christ in, in verse 10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead to have this salvation. But notice the part I want to draw your attention to is you're gaining Christ, being found in him, and knowing Christ. This is a term of intimacy. I mean, in the Old Testament, talked about Adam knew Eve. Um, not that type of intimacy, but it's, it's relational, deep intimacy, in a way even deeper. The gospel isn't just about keeping you out of hell or sending you to some, you know, uh, place with pearly gates and gold streets. That'd be great, but it's about reconnecting you to the God that made you, the God that loves you, the God that is here to fulfill your life and to be your treasure, the one you were created for, and to be your ultimate joy, the way that he was Paul's ultimate joy. And this is offered to you. Main point of this message, I hope you believe the gospel, that you will renounce your good works, anything else you're depending on, cling to the cross of Jesus Christ and nothing else, and you'll be saved. Let's pray. We thank you and praise you. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is this good, that it is not a matter of our human righteousness, our effort. And Lord, pray that you would help us all. And anyone here that right now needs to turn to you for the first time, for us to renounce our dependency on the flesh, to renounce our confidence in any type of merit badges from ourselves or our birth or our where we live or anything that we think or used to think got us to heaven. Lord, we put those in the loss column. They are not a gain for us. They are not profit. They are a loss. And Lord, we cling to the only gain, the only profit that we could ever have, that Jesus Christ, the Lord, loved us enough to live and to die in our place. Lord, let us cling to Jesus Christ as our substitute, Lord God. Lord, work in the hearts of, Lord, I pray if anyone here that doesn't know you, that you would help them to receive you this morning as their Lord and Savior and have that guilt taken away because now what is in the gain column could never be matched by anything that could ever go in the loss column. The blood of Christ is more powerful than all of our sins, Lord God. And you have taken them, you have nailed them to the cross. All glory to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.